everyone. My name is Kat Savage and I'm a professional artist, clinical hypnotherapist and well-being expert working with those in the creative arts sector. In my line of work, I get to meet some amazing, colourful people from actors to artists, people who live their lives by their own rules, fueled by passion and determination to bring their unique talents into the world. I wanted to discover what it took for people to leave the usual nine to five and hop on a dream, to capture their bravest moments and share these meaningful conversations with you so that together we can explore the ideas, emotions and moments that could potentially change our lives too. So let's keep talking, have some fun and enjoy the show. This week on the show, we speak to Somerset Slam champion and Plymouth Slam runner-up Ross Bryant. Relatively new to the slam scene, Ross's mix of quirky and observational humour have made him an instant hit in his home of the Southwest in the UK. He talks to us today about his experience not only as a poet, but also as a recent father and how that has shaped his world and made him a braver person than he thought possible. It is with great pleasure that I introduce you to this incredibly funny spoken word artist, Ross Bryant. Ross Bryant, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello. So how have you found lockdown? Have you been uh, creative or have you shut down with it? Yes, is the answer. Yeah, all of all of the above. I think I've had fits of creativity, um, but also wanting to to curl up in the fetal position as well at times. So it's um, <laughs> a little bit of everything. How's how's yours been? A bit like yourself, really. Um, just yeah, just some days I'm really creative. Other days I just want to lie on the floor and look at the ceiling yeah, in yeah. duvet, <laughs> yeah. just rock gently. <laughs> But I'm hoping that you're going to actually like just cheer us all up with one of your poems, if you would yes, mind. Yes, yeah, I thought this would be a, a, f a fitting poem to start with. Um, obviously, uh, life will be coming back to normal and uh, hopefully we'll be getting our hair cut, um, which reminds me of a poem <laughs> that I, I wrote pre-lockdown, I'd like to add, called uh, called Haircut. Um, Brilliant. And in brackets, uh, I've put a prerequisite to, to hat shopping. <laughs> when I get my haircut, um, I always tend to go to the, the place with the most uh, hilariously sounding name. Um, I don't really ever go to a place with any form of critical acclaim. So the last time I got my <laughs> haircut, it, it was a toss-up between uh, the early bird gets the perm. Um <laughs> And um, and uh, the other option was the catcher in the blow dry. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I picked the latter, as the uh, the idea of any winged warbler sporting kinky curls seemed like the most uproarious subject matter. Um, plus, it was closer. Um, but as it turns out, there's not a great deal to do when you're sat waiting patiently in a hairdresser's queue. Um, I, I did read a very interesting column in a, in a science and technology magazine that said we'd all be owners of flying cars by, uh, by 1982. Um, I wasn't waiting for long, though, as someone with a, a very concerned face came up to me and said, well, you, you'd better come with me. And this is because I later found out they had a triage system in place. Um, 
The floor tiles stretched out before me like a tablecloth, and across it we continued. Harvested heads stacked like a buffet spread, and tonight mine was on the menu. Uh, <laughs> why does hair have to be wet before it gets cut? I don't even like sitting next to people on the bus. Uh, my personal space is about 40 centimetres, uh, maybe 45. And then other days, like that day, it stretches out as far as the M5. Um, is that too hot? He inquired. Um, and this is probably because he was chasing bits of my scalp swirling around the basin. As the, uh, the shower hose hissed like a soapy serpent and then it stopped, had we reached the end? We had not. There was soap in my eye, there was conditioner in my ear. I was squinting like an angry buccaneer of yesteryear as I was led to the scissor wielder's chair. He furiously dried my hair. I realised I was out of my depth, towel over my head. The only thing that sounded familiar to me was the sound of my very own breath, and even that was erratic. Sometimes people say I can be a little bit dramatic, but you weren't there. <laughs> the towel was removed my head like the discovery of an antique in a forgotten loft. The towel was dusty and I, and I coughed. And he, he began his interrogation by asking me if I booked my holiday. And if I'd booked a holiday, I'd uh, certainly book a haircut more often. Uh, I did have a, a lovely weekend in Dawlish not too long ago, uh, but that's because I broke down on the way back from Morrison's. He wielded his rusty <laughs> wand and a lot of my hair was now on my shoulders, somehow managed to make me look about 10 years older. And I gazed upon the hair hat he'd constructed and it was devoid of any consistency. I didn't have my protractor to hand, but he'd opted on some unusual angles and avoided any form of symmetry. So, what do you think? He said. Yeah, that, yeah, that's lovely. Thank you. I responded. He said something else, but I couldn't really hear, so then I actually had to check to see if I was missing part of my ear. It was all very hard to digest. Did I get my loyalty card stamped again, though? Yes. Oh my god. <gasps> Why do we get our hair cut if it's simply gonna grow back? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, I couldn't stop. No. Laughing. I was, at, at one point I was actually laughing into my elbow because I was trying my best to keep my crap together, but I didn't. Oh, I, I guess I don't really have to ask what inspired you to uh, to write that poem. <laughs> and listeners, if you're listening in and you you happen to go to a salon with a funny name, please, for the love of God, just write in with that name. So I, I need to make a, a list of places to go next, just to take pictures and selfies with. <laughs> Ross Bryant, you hilarious, hilarious man. <laughs> I I just, I can't believe that you've only been on the poetry scene for like four or five years. You're so articulate. You're so hilarious, just naturally as well, the way that you deliver things. Can you remember what your first performance was like? How did it go? Yeah, it's it's certainly something that, that sticks in the mind. It's one of those sort of, um, you know, memories that you, uh, when you think back on, you sort of shudder a little bit. You know, it sort of hits you two, two three o'clock in the morning when you're when you lied in bed. Um, I think it was. I think I had about five, maybe ten minutes to do to do a slot, 
I, I remember, I think my first poem was about three minutes long um, and realised sort of halfway through reading it that my, my leg was shaking, my hands were <laughs> shaking, my voice was breaking um, and to the point where really I just, um, I did that poem and I just sort of scuttled off the stage, sat down in my chair and just decided never to put myself through such an ordeal again, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so your first taste of the poetry life wasn't really for you. <laughs> it's... It's so funny because I've played in bands before, I've played music live before, but when I first started doing performance poetry, it's like you're exposed. It's You mm. can't behind, hide behind a, a guitar or anything like that. So it's, it's a really sort of different, strange sort of feeling, yeah. So after that baptism of fire, how long was it before you got back on your feet and, uh, and approached the subject uh, with a little bit more confidence? Yeah, I think... It wasn't too long, to be honest, because I think it was a, a monthly sort of recurring evening. So I was mm. ready to do it again for the for the next month. Um, e even now, um, you know, I still get nervous, and I, th I think that's something that that never really goes away. But I think you know, to be to be nervous just means that you you care about it really. So I think mm. it's it's a good thing at the same time. Yeah, and you know, it's held you in good stead because like three three years later, you were back in doing slams and you came second, didn't you, in a slam competition in Plymouth? How how did you um, how did you think differently about that? And how did you feel coming off the stage? Well, I think about around that sort of time, I decided to to start mixing uh, poetry literature and sort of comedy, you know, all together. Mm. Um, and it was it was around that time as well that I started doing poems sort of off off by heart as well. So I think that evening I came into the the room. I think you may have been there actually. Um, mm. It was I, quite I a remember, big room, yeah. big hall, yeah. wasn't it? It was a um, scary room. It, it was, was like proper bosh. <laughs> yeah, and I sat right at the front and so my inner monologue was just my set, just going round and round in my head. And then I sort of like sat up and looked behind me and I was like, oh my God, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> <laughs> you still managed to do it though. And you yeah, did it just so about, much class. Yeah. <laughs> was, was that like the first thing that you'd sort of won in, in terms of like spoken word? I think so, yeah. Um, I think that was probably the first time as well that it, it sort of cemented to me that okay yeah I think this is the, the direction I want to be I want to be going in now sort of you know blending sort of poetry performance and mm. comedy together so yeah I think that was definitely yeah quite quite an important evening as well yeah definitely yeah in the same <laughs> year you went on to win the Somerset Slam champion how did that sort of push your ambition with this new sort of amalgamation of, you know, commentary, uh, comedy, poetry, all the rest of it? Um, and how did that change your performance style? Or did it just solidify that formula that you, you'd sort of found earlier that year? Yeah, I think it, I think it did. Um, because I think from, from then on, that was very much settled as, as to the sort of style I wanted to, to do. Um, but also as well, when you do sort of things like, you know, I saw that sort of the other sort of people that were that were performing, you know, on that day. And it's like, well, I'm not sure if I did, you know, I should have won that, to be honest. But it was, it was, it was so weird. It was like in a, in a, a space in Taunton. And it was like sort of doing poetry in the middle of the day to people that were doing their Saturday afternoon shop and stuff like that. So it was quite a, quite a funny, weird experience. But yeah. Oh my God. We, we've all been there, haven't we? We've been be performing to a random room yeah, full yeah. of people who are totally <laughs> uninterested. 
Yeah. <laughs> I jest, I jest. <laughs> you must have won it for a reason. <laughs> so, what do you think it is that you're sort of discovering about yourself through your poetry? I never knew when I first started doing poet, uh, poetry, like, you know, when it first started, just sort of scribbling notes down in a, in a, in a book mm. that it, it could then, you know, eventually turn into something that you would do in front of, you know, rooms full of people as well. And, you know, to, to then, you know, make, make some people laugh as well and people that are engaged and enjoying it. I think that's, I never knew that I'd be able to sort of take it in, in that direction, really. Mm. And how does that make you feel personally when, you know, you've got a room full of people reacting to you in that way? Do you feel relieved? Do you feel like an adrenaline rush? What's going on in your body, and your mind at that time? Yeah, I think it's always a, a sense a sense of relief, I think, because I suppose the funny thing about it is you could do one poem one night and everybody enjoys it, everybody laughs, and then do like the same joke the next night and then no one laughs. <laughs> So I've, I've sort of learned to sort of um, to never pause for laughter just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Battle on through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just uh, but just try to remember remember your lines and, and just to keep going, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what what do you think then? Because obviously, when you're on stage, people have that preconceived judgment that oh, you must be a really confident guy. You must be someone who enjoys being in that environment that you don't get nervous, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what is one of the common misconceptions people have about you as a byproduct of being a performing person yeah I've, I've had that a lot really that, that people say oh you know you're all I never I never knew that you know you always come across as being really confident or, or, but it's like in my head I'm going ah like, <laughs> like, you know, just trying to trying to get through it really but I think um I think it's just a bit like going through a tunnel really is is that you you go into it really anxious and nervous and then come the end of it it's just you just feel elated and just relieved to have done it really and it's quite a it's quite an addictive feeling really because you're always looking for the next next thing the next um gig to do yeah yeah it's kind of like getting a, a bad tattoo over and over again but really yeah, enjoying exactly. it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'll never learn <laughs> yep yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, i love it so who who sort of inspired you at the beginning? Who did you turn to and think, wow, you're really doing things right? I, I just want to take on your energy and, and kind of explore that. Yeah, I think I've always been a big fan of stand-up comedy um, as well. So um, like people like Simon Amstel, people like James A. Caster, you know, stand-up comedians like that. And But I didn't, when I first started coming into, into poetry, and, you know, like I said, I was trying to be really deep and angsty. So I was, I was trying to write poems like like Baudelaire, like Lord Byron, you know, different <laughs> things like that, really. And then it wasn't until I came across poets like, you know, like John Cooper Clarke or uh, mm. uh, Tim Key as well that, you know, I realised that actually this can be a form of entertainment. You can, you know, put another thing you love, you know, comedy into this as well. And, and um, so I, w I would say John Cooper Clark and, and Tim Key were, were two of my main inspirations when I, I realised I wanted to, to sort of pursue more of a comedic route. And, and it's so important, isn't it, to have those sort of inspirations in the back of your mind, especially if you're lacking in confidence at the beginning and you're like, OK, well, what would this person do in this situation? Yeah, and it kind yeah, of yeah. gives you like that friendly voice on your shoulder to, to guide you in that right direction. God, that's quite a contrast, though, isn't it? If you're thinking, 
speaking Baudelaire and Lord Byron. <laughs> Do you have any of your like earlier poetry and stuff online, or is that in a in a tight compartmentalized part of your mind? <laughs> there, there, there probably is some of it floating around, you know. <laughs> but I'll just leave it there, really, in some corner of the internet. Fair play. That's what yeah, the yeah. dark web is for. Yeah. <laughs> so. Do you have, uh, talking of like inspiration and stuff like that, do you have a process? You know, where do you draw your ideas from and what tips would you give to other, you know, writers trying to do performance poetry? Yeah, I usually, I'm not very good at, at sitting down with with a notebook and trying to sort of formulate ideas. I'll usually sort of think of something sort of really sort of raw, like a, you know, a situation or an idea and then sort of go for a walk and sort of think about things as I'm walking along. I, I tend to come up with more ideas when, if I'm on a walk or if I'm, you know, just the most sort of random situation, really. So I always make sure I've got the, the note app on my phone, you know, mm. to type <laughs> things down. And then when I feel as if I've got enough to be going with, that's when I'll sit to a laptop and, and start to, you know, put things into a form of narrative, put it in, into an order. Um, but even then, even when you start performing, I, th- I'm, I think really it takes a good maybe f- five to ten performances after you think you've finished um, to actually have something that you think is, right, this might be done now because I'm I'm constantly changing and editing my poems Mm. all the time. Um, So I think it's... If, you know, for anybody that wants to to do performance poetry, it's just to take it to to an open mic and... Uh, you know, see where it takes you from there. Mm, mm. I agree with you on sort of giving your mind the the space as well to explore the ideas. I, I do actually write things down uh, in a note. I have like unfinished notebooks all around my house, much to my husband's despair, bless him. But <laughs> equally, I'll like, I'll write down an idea in the morning and I'll sort of leave it. And a bit like yourself, I'll, tr- I'll try and take myself out of the situation and give it some breathing space. And then, like you said, if you go on a walk or something, you sort of build on that idea, don't you? And yeah. you come back with something almost pre-formed and weirdly ready um do you do you sort of when you've got that idea and you've got it ready do you script it out and then uh learn it or do you kind of just do it on a whim every time that you go to an open mic yeah I do I do learn it it's, it's so for maybe a week before I intend to perform it my inner monologue sort mm. of becomes that poem really <laughs> I just I just constantly having it on a loop Mm. Uh, in my in my head, really, is is um, it's just like the same as remembering lyrics to a song, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so it probably is important then to try and script it out as opposed to just do it yeah. off the cuff because you'll forget oh, stuff. I'd, yeah, I'd never do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing that you're constantly prepared, Ross Bryant, will you yeah. please read us another one of your poems <laughs> by heart or from a book? We don't care. And I will yeah. try and laugh into my elbow again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got um, two... Much shorter poems. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go through. Go for it. Um, the first one is called uh, Camouflage. Okay. The premium ticket holder wore his camouflage overalls on the bus. The camouflage was military grade, and an unsuspecting passenger sat on his lap. <laughs> the camoed chap was too polite to say anything and missed his stop. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still covering my mouth. <laughs> right, bring on poem number two. I'm ready. I'm getting down. Right, okay. Let me see if I can find it. 
Uh, this poem is called Bear Hug. The sleepy rambler was getting comfy on the bear's big old fluffy belly. You're forgiven, he whispered as he slowly nodded off, nursing what was left of his leg. Thank you. <laughs> So what I'm taking away from this is just be really careful who you sit on or who you hug. I didn't realise there was a theme until just then. Glad to have helped. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Do you know what that reminded me of? I went to I went to India in 2007 and uh, a bit sort of like naive about the world and how the rest of the world works and um I got onto this bus with my friend Jerry and we were just sat on this bus and everything was fine and then as more and more people got onto the bus people just started sitting on your lap just as you're saying in that poem really and being the the British naive girl that I was back at the time <laughs> when this big mama came and sat on my lap with her chicken I was just like um, <laughs> What do I do? And Jerry was just laughing her head off. And I was just like, oh my God, there's a woman on oh, my lap I've never oh met. No. It was very bizarre. But also it taught me a lot about the world and how we should just relax as the British people. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I love it. So here you are at sort of the beginning of your career. But what do you wish you'd known when you first started out? Um to not take yourself too seriously as well. Mm. Um, and I find as well that a, a lot of people, um, you know, give you advice and give you feedback, but, you know, it's obviously really important to, to listen to advice um, of people, but at the same time to not let it sort of knock you off the direction that you, that you want to be going in yourself. Mm. Mm. That's, yeah, I think that's really important. And being a part of, you know, many poetry groups, especially if you're on social media, um, you do sort of leave yourself open for that constructive criticism that maybe you didn't ask for. And sometimes it's really welcome. Mm. It really changes an idea, doesn't it? But equally, yeah. someone will say, oh, you should change this part of that, but more I don't like it. And it does knock you for six for some reason. Yeah. I remember somebody said to me, said to me once, came up to me afterwards. They were like, oh yeah, really, really good. Really good sound. Thank you very much. And he went, it's not really poetry, though, is it? <gasps> oh, okay. <laughs> Did you ask what he thought it was instead? <laughs> I just, I, no, I sort of like panicked and went, oh, I suppose it's not. <laughs> <laughs> he sat on you on the bus, didn't he? That's yeah, yeah. basically what just yeah. happened. Oh. So he sat on my lap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you missed your stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so obviously that can make you feel a bit like, oh, gutted or yeah. whatever. And it does make you sort of second guess yourself. And um, and we touched earlier a little bit on nerves and how they can sort of shape you or, or not. Do you have any ritual that you do before you go on stage? Is there something that you know that you can do that will just make you feel, okay, it's all going to go okay now? And deal with yeah. those those people at the end. <laughs> when I was a lot younger, I used to suffer with with anxiety, you know, and, and different things like that. And and I sort of realised to, to be able to control that through through breathing mm. um, and stuff. So so what I, what I tend to do before before I go on stage is just to you know breathe in from my nose, out from my mouth, that, that sort of thing. And it does it does certainly work just to have that, that that moment where you're able to try and just sort of ground yourself and get get your breathing under control. And uh, you know it does it does tend to work. <laughs> 
I was talking to our previous guest, Joanna Cook, about nerves because it's something that really fascinates me as someone who performs themselves, but also with, you know, someone that works with people with anxiety, uh, especially within performance. Um, mm. She she does a similar thing. So she said that she does the breathing and stuff and she imagines that the gig's going to go really well and yeah. and have that sort of preconceived idea of success before going on stage onto stage um so it's nice to hear that the breathing thing even though it sounds so simple we do forget don't we we completely forget to breathe and we sort of hold yeah. our breath but sometimes if you if you catch yourself doing it it's like your, your jaws clenched you know, your, your, your shoulders are tight you're breathing really quickly and if you just sort of realize that to just kind of sort of uh you know, relax a little bit. It's surprising how helpful they can actually be. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So you are very, very funny, as we've just witnessed. <laughs> but what do you think the trick is to creating a humorous performance? Is it timing? Is it facial expression? What is it that you think it is that makes something funny? What, what I like to try to do when I, when I write about anything is just to, to really sort of take the mundane and try to, to look at it through a sort of a slightly skewed angle um, as well. I think with things like performance, I think you sort of learn whilst you're performing, you know, about, about cues and um, you know, delivery um, and, and different things like that as well. So I think what I found is, is that people like to be sort of like presented that, that mundane world that we can sometimes all get caught up in and just uh, to look at it through a, from a slightly different perspective, really. Um, and just, you know, those little sort of, you know, specifics and those little nuances that, that exist within our life. I think once we sort of reveal that side to ourselves, I think there is quite a common trend that we are all very similar. So basically what I'm hearing is I don't need to feel embarrassed about the massive hunk of chocolate that I've got hidden under all my yeah, vegetables exactly. that I've yeah. actually predetermined is going to be underneath the vegetables just because yeah. I know someone else is looking into my basket at the checkout counter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. So you performed at our local wonderful Glass Denbury. Um, yes. I love that stage. I love the people there. It's always really, really fun. Um, but you were able to take your son and is, yeah. I, I want to know, how did he react to seeing you perform and what, what was his impression of you? Yeah, it was yeah, it was amazing to be able to do that because it's such it's quite like a family atmosphere there as well. So you, you can sort of take your you know your family along. But I think I mean, he was just at an age where he was just starting to realise, you know, what was what was going on <laughs> in the world, really. And I think the whole time he was just looking at me as if to say, you know, what are you doing up there, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So hopefully when, fingers crossed, you know, we are able to start, you know, doing festivals and stuff again, we'll, you know, we'll be able to take him. He might understand what I'm doing this time. <laughs> When do kids ever really understand what yeah, you're doing? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure it'll just be a massive embarrassment. <laughs> I see a double act in your future. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how has poetry sort of helped with your mental health? I know you've you mentioned before that you have suffered with anxiety in the past. How do you think that the poetry has actually aided that? Or, you know, what do you get out of it emotionally on that level? I suppose it's, it's whenever you're, you're writing, you're, you're kind of, 
you're almost in dialogue, aren't you, when you're writing about, about stuff. Mm. So you look back and it is kind of like a, it's kind of like a diary really, isn't it? And it's, mm. so I think that, that that's, can really, just having that, that sort of record of, you know, can be quite sort of reassuring. I think that can help with, with mental health as well, definitely. Mm. So other people that are maybe suffering with anxiety, would you recommend that they looked at one of the performing arts to sort of become an outlet for them? Maybe just to find whatever that thing is that you're, you're passionate about or that thing that you love and just to, you know, embrace it and do it. Because I think we can all get so caught up with, you know, the sort of rigid routines that are our day-to-day lives at the moment, you know, especially with work and, you know, bills to pay and different things like that. If you've, if you've got that, that hobby or that thing, that whatever it is that makes you happy, then I think that can have a massive effect. So what has been your biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? After I found out that I, um, you know, after I became a father, um, it wasn't long after into, into uh, my son's life that we found out he was um, um, allergic to nuts and, and eggs that we would like with anaphylaxis, basically. Um, so we've we've had to. That's probably been you know one of the most challenging things you've had to to try and have overcome. But it also you know allows you to to reassess as well what what what's important you know in in your life as well. And um, so I think. I think it was about 12 months ago that we found out. We've managed to, to get to a point now where we, we manage it well. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of uh, handling the situation uh, a lot better now. It must be incredibly frightening for you guys. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine how that affects your relationship between each other because you, you're constantly having to check in with each other, I guess. And Yeah, I think it's, <clears throat> as, a, as a family, I suppose, if anything, it's, it's brought us all, all together. And now that we know that it is... Um, nuts and, and eggs mm. is that you know you can check um you can check ingredients you can um you know so it, it's, it's quite easily managed really once you you get that that, that anxiety under under control and one of the things you realize as well how common it is you know with people to have allergies as well so it's um it you know going back to it it certainly helps to to talk and to, to, and to share as well and it certainly um, um doesn't make it feel as as a, as a bigger, a bigger problem as it initially did. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got a little bit off a tangent there, but I'm just absolutely fascinated. <laughs> you know, it's it's an incredibly interesting just to know what has to happen behind the scenes just for you yeah. to be able to perform and and also how to run your life. Oh my goodness, Ross <laughs> Brian. So, what do you think has been your most life changing moment in terms of you know your poetic career or just personally or emotionally? Yeah, I think it, it would be becoming a father. Yeah. Definitely, it completely makes you you, you know reassess what what what's important, and you know you're not necessarily thinking about you know that you know the future or career or different things like that. You, you it kind of grounds you in the here and now, really, and, and you, you you enjoy that mm. you know more than thinking about what your life could be in in five to ten years time. Yeah, and I suppose also it gives you a, a constant, doesn't it? You've got something to, to live for. You've got something yeah, that, yeah. that shapes your life a little bit. So you do have that consistency um, that maybe some of us don't have in, yeah, in terms of that. And the lack of sleep as well. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't envy that, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always say, leave it to the pros, leave it to the pros. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of leads me on to the main question of the show, being that it's called the brave moment. What do you think your bravest moment has been so far? And that could be performance-wise, mentally, physically, spiritually. And how is it helping you now? Okay, um, I think... Yeah, to get, to go back to it really, you know, and to, you know, I've, I've talked about, um, 
you know, my son's allergies and stuff. But, you know, that moment where you, you stop feeling anxious about something and it's something that's going to control your, 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 da your daily life and to be able to, um, over time, you know, get a handle of it and, um, you know, to, to, to manage it. I think that that's certainly been a brave moment for me, definitely. Do you think that it's kind of put things in perspective in terms of your performance? So when you're feeling nervous or anything, you're like, actually, this is nothing compared to, yeah, to what it, I have to go through. Yeah, on a daily basis. Exactly. <laughs> it's so funny how, how certain points in your life just have a a knack of just reevaluating and just uh, recalibrating everything, definitely. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's amazing advice as well, and it does keep things in perspective. And it just reminds us, you know, everyone that's listening to the show now, that whatever you're going through, it's never going to be as bad, or it's you know, it's not. You know, there's things that we worry about aren't as bad as holding someone's life in your hands and trying to guide them through it in terms of like allergies and and all the rest of it as well. So thank you for uh, putting things in perspective. No problem. <laughs> so, Coming back a little bit to your performance, can you remember like one of your highlights? What has been the performance that you came off stage and you thought, you know, wow, I, I really want to do this for the rest of my life? Yeah, there's there's certainly been a lot of you know performances where, where I felt where I felt that, but it it probably is that that one in in Plymouth. Um, mm -hmm that we were talking about, because I think that was the, the first one, mm. you know, where, where I realised, oh, this is, this is what I want to be doing. And I think that was, that was one of the first poems as well, where I, where I, I read it off, uh, you know, by heart as well. So I didn't have a, you know, my notebook with me as well. And to, to have a, a decent reaction from the audience as well. It's, um, so I, I would say that was, that was probably one of the, you know, one of my favourites, definitely. Oh, I can't wait to go out and see you gig again. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Sit in a room with you with a pint and uh, hear your name being called up to entertain me for the evening can't wait <laughs> so before I ask you some really random questions yeah. what further advice can you give to those people that are just starting out what what do you you know what can you tell them about what they're entering into I think um you can you can get really caught up with with poetry almost trying to to emulate something or to be uh like like another poet or another performer when when ultimately it's is to you know remind yourself what it is that made you get into it in the first place um and if you're able to reflect that you know when you're performing to people then people will, in, will enjoy it you know and i think one of the best things about performance poetry is just so diverse so, i mean you've, you've you've probably seen it yourself when you go to an evening it's just the 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 different styles, the different genres. It's just so vast as well. So I think if you, you're able to, you know, project that on a stage, I think people will enjoy it and find it entertaining. Yeah, I agree. Very, very good advice, Ross Bryant. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you some out there questions now, just okay. because I'm interested from a, an artistic point of view. I don't know why I've gone Australian. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> If you could know the absolute truth um, to one question, what would it be? Oh, my mind's gone blank. <laughs> <laughs> you have to help me. <laughs> it might help if I put that Australian accent on again. Hang on. Hello, yeah. I am the lord of all information in the world. <laughs> what Ross Bryant would you like to know? <laughs> um, what I'm going to have for dinner this evening. Okay. <laughs> And I will tell you, you're going to have a yeah. Sunday roast, mate. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I'm so sorry to any Australian people listening out there that I've just absolutely offended. 
<laughs> Brilliant. If you could meet your hundred year old self, what do you think he'd say to you about your life now? And what do you think they'd like you to do next? I think he wouldn't say anything. I think he'd just tut and snort in derision, really. I think I'd... <laughs> um, I think um, sort of any advice really would just be to just enjoy whatever it is that you're doing, really. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's what I would tell myself to do next is to not be ruled and guided by other people's ideas of what you should be doing, just to do what whatever it is that makes you makes you happy. Ooh, snap. I'm snapping my fingers and doing a, a crazy like <laughs> flicking of my flicking my hair right now. What do you think the closest thing to magic is in real life? I think it's you know, I hope this doesn't sound like too much of a cliche or anything like that, but I think it is about you know being in being in nature really and going for walks and um, you know, being on a beach or being in the woods or something like that. I think that's probably the closest thing you can come. Do you know what? That's so weird. Well, it's not weird. It's not weird at all. It's, it's a brilliant <laughs> answer. Nearly every single guest that I've asked that question to has said exactly the same really? thing. And and it's it's the way that I would answer myself personally as well. I think we absolutely take for granted what's happening out in nature and out on the planet. And I mean, just like right now, as things are sort of popping up through spring, it's insane to think that that tiny little flower that's just managed to get to the surface has been buried yeah. underground for all of that winter time and has somehow managed to survive and pop up in a completely different yeah. way it's amazing <laughs> i agree you have my my solidarity sister <laughs> <laughs> that's good i was worrying i was sounding like a meme or something like that in <laughs> well you were but you know you've gone viral yeah. so it doesn't matter <laughs> okay ross brown are you ready for a quick fire question round i will try yeah okay get your game face on <laughs> Deep breath. Literary hero. John Cooper Clark. Favourite motivational song? Um, I'm Waiting for the Man by the Velvet Underground. Nice choice. Epic fail. Um, I once swallowed a piece of chewing gum on stage. <laughs> Was it whilst you were performing something? Yes, and I just decided to style it out. <laughs> I wish I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Last gig you went to? Um, the last, I think it was that, that, uh, thing that you and Tom put on in Plymouth. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think that was the last, I can't remember when it was though, but it was kind of a few months before, um, coronavirus, wasn't yeah, it? Maybe yeah. Yeah. Three or four months. I can't remember, but it's, yeah, I think it was that. I can remember someone eating a whole lemon. I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, remember, I can't remember who it was, but... Oh, it was Dan. I think it was Tom Bolton's friend, Dan. That's um, a whole lemon for, for charity. But, you know, anyway, I digress. What's your, what's your favourite item of clothing? Um, I think it's this jumper that I've got on at the moment. Describe. It's, um, it's, um, it's I've realised as I've sort of, like, treading into my 30s that I dress more for comfort now than, than anything else. Mm. So I think this is like the, the perfect mix of comfort and um, still being able to be seen in public. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think this is, <laughs> I think this is, yeah, my favourite item at the moment. Yeah. Uh, where did you get this magical jumper and what colour is it? <laughs> well, it's, um, it's navy blue mm -hmm. and it, my partner bought it for me, so I, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to basically just get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stalker. It's my husband's birthday in two weeks. <laughs> anyway, last text you received. I think I think it may have been a shopping list from my again my partner actually. <laughs> so like milk bread. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that you have basically a PA as well as a partner. This is brilliant. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> if you could have any other talent in the world, what would it be? I've, I've really gotten into to painting during lockdown. <gasps> um, are we going to have to put a bob in front of your name? I think we are, aren't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been watching a bit of Bob Ross, actually. He's but, um, <laughs> He is, isn't he? Um, the, I suppose the talent is like, I, I wish I was good at it. That's <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? There's a, there's a Facebook page, which I recommend everyone to look at, called Shit London. And it's basically, <laughs> this does tie in with what you just said. It's basically just a page dedicated to the random, r- slightly rubbish things about London that you just find in <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> so you could you've still got a career in painting even if you don't think it's that good you just, you just got put it through the Ross machine and, and come out the other side <laughs> favourite book um, 10 years in an open neck shirt by John Cooper Clark Ooh, I'm so getting on to Amazon after this and buy my <laughs> favourite film um, this is Spinal Tap Oh my God. Spinal tap. Oh, you're taking me back into my youth now. <laughs> Favourite trait in human beings? Um, I think the, the ability to laugh at yourself. I like that. That's great. Worst trait in human beings? I'd say, I'd say bullying. Favourite self-attribute? <laughs> Again, the ability to, to take that, poke fun at myself. <laughs> Worst self-attribute. Um, I think I, I definitely have a, a habit of doing this. It's, um, you know, I sort of seek validation um, whenever I say something by, by saying things like, oh, do you know what I mean? Or, Does that make sense? So I need, <laughs> I need oh to stop God. seeking that validation from people. You go with your bad self. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who makes you laugh? I suppose, I suppose anybody's got the, got the ability to make me laugh, but um, I think I say stand-up comedians, performance poets, and just members of the general public. Really, <laughs> <laughs> annoying habit. Now I'm working on this, but sometimes <laughs> I uh, I have a tendency to uh, to bite my nails sometimes <laughs> and um, and and sort of not clean up after myself afterwards. <laughs> so you're human. I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Favourite animal? Um, giraffe. Favourite food? Uh, anything Italian. Oh, spicy. Uh, best <laughs> piece of advice you've ever received? Don't worry about perfection. You'll, you'll never achieve it. If there was a zombie apocalypse, what would you use as a weapon and where would you hide? I would try and use my words and <laughs> I'd hide behind my hands. I'm going to give you the solitary clap, which will be the last thing you hear before you die in the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) On that note, I think you better read us another poem just in case that actually happens. Okay, so so I wrote a poem about about becoming a father, actually. Um, I wanted to to name it something that would... uh, sort of characterise, you know, my son's behaviour, but also sort of ground us where we live um, in Exeter. So we, we live in the, the, the near Alfington Road uh, in Exeter. So um, to characterise uh, my son, I've called this poem Alfington Toad. <laughs> On the 24th of April, 2019, in a room off a corridor next to the poorly stocked vending machine, I became a father, a father to a human 
a complex mass of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, along with fingernails and kneecaps that constitutes an infant homo sapien. So I was inspired to put a series of words in order in homage to his arrival. A couple of expectant parents sat uncomfortably idle in a ward, fondly reminiscing but existing with an unusual state of suspension. The air tingled with a sterilised apprehension as the process of childbirth was quite a big deal, we've been told, with the aid of books and shit. <laughs> The night before, we were perusing the takeaway drawer, making awkward eye contact through the letterbox with the delivery driver approaching the door. But now we'd, we'd had a scan, things were going to plan, but then, albeit a little slowly, things started to get a little bit out of hand. It was certainly more intense. Uh, nature had served her eviction notice as the baby had stopped paying the rent. It was clear that the baby was coming and I shrewdly observed uh, that the nurse needed summoning. So I pulled a cord. It was orange and bright, but all that did was turn off the light. I pushed a, <laughs> I pushed a big blue button slightly to the left, but all that did was readjust the bed. I promptly decreed that all technology in this room must have been flawed, so resorted to the old-fashioned method of running down the hall and knocking on random doors until someone emerged carrying medical utensils, a laminated lanyard confirmed their credentials. I'm sure they perceived from my countenance that it was an emergency, but I flailed my limbs as to emphasize the urgency. And they confirmed with a quick check that they'd made contact with the baby's head. I said, don't blind me with the technicalities, doctor. Feeling my otherwise ice cool facade momentarily, momentarily melt into uncharted waters. They responded by saying that we'd be making our way to the delivery room and the baby was going to be here soon. I was walking on air. I was going to become a father in there. I could feel the weight of the moment's significance and no amount of candles and panpipe music was going to make the blindest bit of difference. <laughs> now, I don't possess the vocabulary or the linguistic abilities to describe what I then heard or saw. So I'm just going to fast forward a bit down the line to the bit where I held my son for the very first time. The nurse asked if I was all right. The midwife asked if I was all right. My partner, who had just given birth, asked if I was all right. The caretaker poked his head around the door and asked if I was all right. Fairly sure I was all right. But you know when you're all right and then someone asks you if you're all right and it makes you question if you're all right. But I just held him. He was in a little woolen hat, his tiny fist beneath his chin and me furiously tensing my stomach muscles as I'd agreed to do skin on skin. Mm -hmm. He then opened his eyes and looked up to me and I already knew I was doing a good job as he was already comfortable using me as a lavatory. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> swelling up through that and then the last line just absolutely <laughs> floored me with that emotion it was a slap round the face <laughs> as I'm sure it was for yes. you <laughs> thank you so so much Ross Bryan no for just being on the show today you've been such a star um if people want to follow you, where can they find you online? What are your social handles? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Facebook. Um, I kind of use my, my personal profile for all things, sort of poetry as well. So it's just under uh, Ross McLean Bryant. And 
on Instagram as well. My handle is uh, uh, Ross That Poet. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) It's been so much fun to talk to Ross today. I think you'll agree that lockdown has had an effect on all of us when it comes to our humour about life. But knowing there's a Ross in the world to bring us back to the lighter side of things is a tonic I think we can all benefit from. His observational humour has me increases every time. What a gift to be able to take the mundane and make it farcical. The comedic arts are notoriously challenging and Ross reminds us that it's important not to put too much pressure on yourself on your first performance. If comedy is your bag, chances are your first performance, like any, will be a little shaky. But you have to keep getting back up, keep honing your humour and keep going back for more. If Ross had quit after his first performance, he would never have gone on to win the subsequent competitions that he did. If you keep showing up for your craft, your craft will eventually show up for you. Whether you're writing your first draft, picking up a paintbrush, beginning to play an instrument or beginning your first podcast, do yourself a favour and remove the expectations. If you expect to be perfect right away, or if you lack the patience to improve, those great new ideas of yours will soon fall by the wayside, and all of that expensive equipment will be on eBay before you know it. Also, keep in mind that other people's opinions of what you do are really none of your business, but if they insist on telling you, try and remain impartial. Some of it may come from a place of constructive criticism or protection. Some from envy, some from a belief that may no longer be true, such as, you can't make a living from slams or poetry, you need a real job. (laughs) At which point, feel free to show them the work of Kate Tempest, Scroobius Pitt or Holly McNish. We are lucky to live in a world where anything is possible, thanks to platforms such as Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. So research your competition, consistently put stuff out there and keep that focus on what you desire for yourself creatively. Just remember that in the creative arts, hard work and dedication is rewarded daily and it won't go unnoticed. All it takes is a little bravery, a lot of passion and a ton of fun. Remember that life may also have other plans for you. Ross and his partner had no idea that when their son was born, they would have to learn about allergies or find help for things that at the time were very scary for them. And this is where creativity can really help. The creative brain is wired to think outside the box and to express things in a way that are healthy and therapeutic. If life throws you a curveball, being able to capture that in words, art or song can be a way of helping you through a situation that may otherwise be very overwhelming. Ross also mentions that breathing is a wonderful way to deal with anxiety and nervous tension. And I agree, learning how to control the breath and calm yourself can be life-saving, especially if you have cortisol or adrenaline surging through your system. Let's try this exercise to help calm the breath. First of all, let's do some grounding. Find five things you can see and name them either in your head or out loud. Take your time. Then, find four things you can touch and do the same. Now find three things you can hear 
This could include subtle things like the movement of your clothes on your body or the hum of an oven. Now find two things you can smell. You could smell your wrist if you wear perfume or your hair or clothes and then something in the air. And finally, find one thing you can taste. What this does is give the brain a task, allowing it to use a different part of itself to process an action. Basically, you're snapping it out of freaking out. (laughs) Once you've done this, fix your eyes on one of the things that you saw at the beginning. Really fix your gaze and take a deep breath in and out through your mouth. Now, we are going to do something called a semi-occlusion vocal technique that controls the breath as you breathe. Breathe in through your nose and purse your lips to make a V shape. As you breathe out, focusing on the object of your choice, breathe out through the V shape of your lips to make a sound a bit like this. The harder you push with your breath, the more you tighten your lips to create a barrier to the breath that's escaping. Try and count from 10 to 1 in your mind as you breathe out. Take a slow breath back in to the count of 4 and repeat. As your heart rate begins to slow, increase the time you take to breathe in from 6 to 8 to 10 and reverse the process of your breath out. For example, if you have increased your breath in to 6, decrease your breath out to 8. If you've increased your breath in to 8, decrease your breath out to 6. And finally, if you've increased your breath in to 10, decrease your breath out to 4. Do this circuit of breath for as long as you wish. The resistance slows your breath and engages the diaphragm, allowing for a deep breath which can calm irrational breathing to gain control again. This whole process from grounding to breathing takes between three to five minutes and can be the difference between an anxiety attack winning or gaining the control you need to succeed in any situation, not just a creative endeavour. Finally, Trying to recreate someone else's style is never going to work. Ross learned very quickly that trying to be like Baudelaire wasn't working for him because, well, he's not Baudelaire. (laughs) Once he accepted that who he actually was was far more interesting and successful than what he thought he was, was the moment that he discovered his niche and his own originality. At first, who you are may seem somehow less than who you aspire to be. But when you accept that actually no one can do what you can do, that is your brave moment. That is when your creative abilities suddenly take on a life of their own. And that is when your own unique star is born. It is great to feel inspired by other great artists. But remember, they are just people like you or I. And they have also spent a lifetime throwing a ton of things out and practicing a million times before they got things just right. We only ever get to see the finished product. There is one thing for certain though. Your heroes and your inspirations will have worked incredibly hard to climb to the status that you now hold for them. And they too had to be equally brave, face their self-doubt and continue with their craft anyway. It wasn't because they wanted a certain outcome, but because they were driven by a passion to do what they love, even when that passion tested them to the limit. 
The sweat, blood and tears are all worth it though. If you can just see each creative moment as it comes, without expectation, without someone else's definition of success and without needing anything from it but to feed it without the question of why, then success will be yours. Be creative for creativity's sake and in doing so, you cannot fail to succeed at it. As Michelangelo once said, if people knew how hard I worked to get my mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful at all. So go out there and work hard. Just make sure you're working hard at the right thing. To look back on a life of work and feel regret for what could have been is one of our biggest societal collective failures. Don't wait for that brave moment to pass you by. Next week on the show, I speak to a fellow synesthete and my dear friend, artist and musician, Jodie Elms. On the show, we talk about her experience of performing at Live 8, seeing music in colour, and how living with synesthesia can have some interesting creative effects. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. If you have a spare moment now, please like, subscribe and tell me your thoughts in a review on Apple Podcasts, which will really help other people like yourself to find the show. Of course, you can also share the show with your friends by following us at The Brave Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube, or on Twitter at Moment Brave, or just follow the link tree on all of our social media platforms. It's been so wonderful to have you all here with me again. Please get in touch with your own stories and remember, your brave moment starts now. Supposed to break character. Um, <laughs> carry on, carry on. <laughs> I uh, spent the rest of the afternoon shopping for hats. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <gasps> um, <laughs>